Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back to the final College Football Survivor Show of this season, Shahan Jeharaja. I'm Doug Maurice. Shahan, we got a whole offseason ahead of us, but we are wrapping up what is... I'm curious. This is the ninth year of the college football playoff, Shahan. This is the first back-to-back champion in the nine years of the playoff. And this past offseason, we did a lot of contextual things around the college football playoff. We did Mount uh, Rushmore's for the four best everything in the eight-year history of the college football playoff. So I'm curious right now, could you make an argument and that – Georgia, this two-year Georgia run, Georgia is the most dominant mini-dynasty of the college football playoff era. And is Stetson Bennett in the conversation? And I don't even know if best is the right word, but would we think about putting Stetson Bennett on a playoff Mount Rushmore because the best of Stetson Bennett came out in the playoff And he is the only quarterback to win back-to-back national championships in the playoff era. Just how good is this Georgia good in this nine-year college football playoff history? Well, let let me say this. I I think that, one, we have to look at this Georgia team whenever we look back at 2022 Georgia. uh, Not as sort of the defensive behemoth that we've become used to under Kirby Smart. This was an offensive team. Stetson Bennett was the leader of this team. Uh, not, not, he didn't just manage the games. He didn't just do nice things. He made the plays that Georgia needed to make to be national champions. So I think that's important context. The other thing that I'll say too is that. You know, I think that they put up a graphic, uh, you know, gosh, ESPN loves their weird graphics. Uh, they, they had uh, a graphic with like four weird mannequins in uh, in jerseys of respective teams because there are only four quarterbacks ever to win back to back national championships in the national championship game era. Tommy Frazier, uh, A.J. McCarron, Matt Leinert, and now Stetson Bennett. And. Like that's that's quite a group. That that's a pretty good group to be a part of. I I think that when we have this discussion, and and like you said, we'll, we'll maybe have a chance to go back to it a little bit in the off season. Um, you know, I think that you almost have to talk about it, like you talk about the NFL quarterback goat discussion, right? Like, I think that Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes might be better at throwing a football than Tom Brady, but like Tom Brady just kept doing stuff and like kept winning and has all these Super Bowls and Stetson Bennett won back-to-back titles and went 29 and three as a starter at Georgia, which is insane in just insane. And, uh, and now has two titles. And by the way, again, with with the first title, he kind of managed the team. This second title, I think that Stetson Bennett needs to be looked at legitimately as a quarterback who helped drive the bus to get them there. So they announced the college football hall of fame members, the new inductees for this class. They announced that on Monday and 
ESPN made a big production of it to kind of trick Tim Tebow when they did the announcement and they didn't have him on the list because he was on the set as an ESPN employee. He's one of the analysts. And then they were like, oh, no, you're in. And Tim Tebow was like, what? You guys tricked me. And it was like, are they not putting Tim Tebow in the minute you can put Tim Tebow in? (laughs) People make an argument that Tim Tebow is like up there for the greatest college football players of all time. And here's my question. What's the difference between Stetson Bennett and Tim Tebow? And I am not asking that facetiously because one of the differences is Stetson Bennett clearly throws it better than Tim Tebow. So Tim Tebow is – it's like who are the greatest college football players of all time? It's like Red Grange, Tim Tebow. <laughs> is Stetson Bennett tied with Tim Tebow? Like I am not – I am zero, zero percent joking when I ask this. <laughs> I, I mean the – well, first of all, uh, look, I think that uh, that the chances that that Stetson Bennett oversaw a locker room as bad as Tim Tebow is pretty low. So actually, I think that Stetson Bennett is even more of what people think Tim Tebow is, you know, an mm. actual leader that uh, you're not blaming Tim Tebow for Aaron Hernandez, though, are you? Come on. Listen, Stetson Bennett kept his tight ends under control, but uh, oh. no, no, obviously not. Obviously not. Although there was a lot of wild stuff going on at Florida in the mid 2000s. That that's like, how's there not been that documentary as yet? Like with that team on campus, with Urban Meyer as the head coach, and by the way, also like Joakim Noah and all of them on the basketball team, just like going crazy. I, I don't know how that hasn't been a documentary yet. Maybe maybe we're still at a point where like nobody's going to talk because by the way one of the guys on campus was a literal murderer but uh you know i, I think <laughs> let, let, let's let's uh, got, I, I got a little sideways there got a little sideways there um so it is funny i remember heading into this game and this was a little bit more of a conversation that people were having about max duggan is people were like well you know he's like a quarterback but he's not that good at throwing the ball so how good is he and it's like yeah, you guys think that Tim Tebow is like the best player ever. Like you don't have to be awesome at throwing the ball to be a great college football player. Now, I I think that I I think that Tim Tebow was more dominant for a longer period of time. If if this is the Stetson Bennett that we got for three years, then I think that we're having a, a little bit more of a discussion. It's not right. This is this is not necessarily a discussion we're having. Um. I also probably in terms of like comparing him to people like Cam Newton or Vince Young or that, like I'm probably a little lower on the list of people when I'm discussing Tim Tebow. I can't consider him in that like all time best ever discussion. But like, I I mean, so I I think that Tim Tebow did it for a a longer period of time in terms of being the dominant force on his team. But I would put this, uh, the Stetson Bennett senior year, in the conversation with uh, with some of the seasons that Tim Tebow had while he was at Florida. Yeah. I mean, the one thing Stetson Bennett did was be the starting quarterback for two national champions, which Tim Tebow didn't do because Tim Tebow has two titles, but he was a wrinkle third down QB behind Chris Leak for the first one in 06. Obviously, Tim, Tim Tebow has a Heisman. Stetson Bennett does not, but Stetson Bennett did get to New York. I like how the, the Stetson Bennett Heisman conversation went back and forth of like, oh, what are you doing? These voters, they're trying to honor Georgia, but they just can't figure it out. It should be Brock Bowers. And then, or is anyone complaining 
now. And I don't want to have the postseason Heisman conversation because I want us to do that next week, possibly, because uh, I think the Heisman should be voted on in the postseason. And I want us to pretend that it was and that you and I are now sitting down. We're going to give ourselves a week to take everything into account so we don't forget Caleb Williams because you don't get you don't get forgotten and you take both things that you take everything into account. But with the way Stetson Bennett played, with the way C.J. Stroud played against Georgia, like what would things how, what would things change for us? But I just think he did drive that bus, and I have I've come you know come to have so much respect for Todd Monken as a play caller for Georgia, and I like the push and pull of them that and they were talking about it in the broadcast and every you know I think Stetson Bennett really kind of came out and talked about this more. In this postseason, he talked about it during the semifinal of like that he was sort of mad at everybody at Georgia that didn't believe in him when he wasn't the starting quarterback at the start of the 2021 season. They went to JT Daniels, you know, that and that Todd Monken was kind of the guy making the decision there. He's the offensive coordinator. He has a, he has, gets the quarterback that he wants. And so that they aren't necessarily best friends, but I think they're similar in some ways. And then, then they brought out the best in each other. Um the difference, I, the reason that, like, I think Tim Tebow comes to mind, I think Tommy Frazier is probably a good comparison, too. Now, Tommy Frazier and that Nebraska offense, the way they played with, the, with, you know, the running, passing quarterback, running that option, the quarterback's even more of a primary kind of thing there. But, like, that's the black shirts. That's a great defense also. and But nobody ever thought that Tommy Frazier was going to be a star in the NFL, right? It's a very kind of specific kind of thing. I don't know what's going to happen with Stetson Bennett. I actually think the Brock Curdy's Purdy stuff that Kirk Herbstreit brought up on the broadcast was kind of interesting, which is just which applies to a lot. But, but good college quarterback get in the right system in the NFL, and right system means like we don't need you to be talented. Just like do what the coach be an avatar of the coach, and that's enough. I do wonder because Stetson Bennett's mobile, he's pretty accurate. He makes makes kind of a goofy player too in a lot of games, but you pull that back enough, which I think Monken did a great job of. I'm curious what he is next, but Tim Tebow to me is like an ultimate example. Tommy Frazier is an ultimate example of it's not a, what they did. The NFL is meaningless. That's not the conversation we're having. You know, you can't separate Cam Newton, Heisman, and then 15 and one NFL MVP lead his team to the Super Bowl. All of that goes into Cam Newton, which I just think is a different, evaluation. Some guys are college quarterbacks. Some guys are NFL quarterbacks. Tom Brady's an NFL quarterback, right? And some guys are both. But when you talk about guys who, and I don't know what Stetson Bennett's going to be, but like only college quarterbacks, sort of like you fit this world at this time. And also he's a million years old, which helps. He plays like a grown man, right? He still makes some goofy plays, right? But then he kind of pulls it back and Munkin pulls him back. It helps that he's 25. I just think in terms of like, great college quarterbacks, he might be on that list. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that what we have to look at in terms of uh, dealing with Stetson Bennett is that actually his most unbeatable advantage is that his prefrontal cortex is completely developed. He, the quarterbacks he's going against, uh, they're, they're still developing up there. They're, you know, but, but Stetson Bennett, he's, he's going to the, you know, he's going to the rental car place and they're like, yeah, you're all grown up, man. You can, of course you can come and, uh, and rent a car from us. Your prefrontal cortex is developed. So actually, I think that that's his most, uh, un undeniable trait right now. But How do you know I, when it develops? Do you get like a card? <laughs> I'm not sure mine's developed yet. <laughs> Can they do that at the doctor's office? Can they check it? 
<laughs> I don't think that they can check it, it. It usually happens by the time that you're uh, you're 25. I'll tell you what. It is funny. I, I'm the oldest of three siblings. And like when my brother turned 25, like he he was always a little bit of a, a wild card in our family. Like when he turned 25, it was suddenly like, oh, you're an adult now. OK, like you're acting like an adult now. Once he turned 25, it was kind of crazy. I didn't expect that. But uh, I don't know. It, it, it kind of so. So maybe there is something to that. But it, it is really hard to judge Stetson because like you said, I. To me, the NFL stuff when we're evaluating him is is obviously like irrelevant. Like like you said, maybe there's. I, I think that he will, if he wants to, he'll have a tremendous career as being Chase Daniel for the next eight years, right? Like he's going to be able to be a backup as long as he wants, um, you know. And and yeah, maybe the time comes and he gets his shot. You know, you, you never know. Um, I I think that I think that this year he beat the allegations that he was just like a guy propped up by having good players around him. He made plays. Uh, And by the way, even in, I mean, the thing that you have to point to is you look at that game against Ohio state, right? Like he went out there and won that game with what he did in the fourth quarter. You look at the, uh, at them last year in the national championship game uh, against Alabama. He went out there and won that game with probably the biggest throw of his career to George Pickens. Right. So like, he does have those moments. It, it <laughs> Let me play this game one more time with you. Okay. And I'm asking this because Todd Monken coached both of them. What is the difference between Stetson Bennett and Baker Mayfield? Uh, Todd Monken never coached Baker Mayfield. If the Browns, he did. Oh my gosh. Monken was the offensive <laughs> and I, Todd Monken. And I, I think, and I didn't, I wrote a story about Todd Monken at the semifinals uh, about his time as a one year offensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns in Baker Mayfield's second year. And I did not get to ask him that question specifically, but in my head, Baker Mayfield was like practice was, was Stetson Bennett practice for him. But when you think about the way Baker Mayfield plays, the type of quarterback he is, Baker Mayfield was in a chuck it around Lincoln Riley offensive system, right? Stetson Bennett was in a let's be efficient. We have a great defense. This is the SEC system. But when you look at their frame, their size, the way they move, the way they throw, Baker Mayfield was the Heisman winning overall number one pick. Honestly, for real. I'm not joking. The title of this podcast is I'm not joking about Stetson Bennett. What is the difference? If you had a big college game, who would you have wanted in that game last night? Heisman winning Baker Mayfield from his senior year at Oklahoma or Stetson Bennett? Isn't it at least a conversation? Like, what's the difference? Other than that, honestly, I think Stetson Bennett's a little better athlete. Maybe a significantly better athlete. I love him. I love Stetson Bennett. Oh wait, till get, wait, wait till we get to Stetson Bennett and... Deshaun Watson, what's the difference between Stetson Bennett and what's the difference between Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young? Is there anything? Are they, aren't they two sides of the same coin? No, I'm not going to go there, but I actually no, mean Young it with is Baker bigger, Mayfield. Actually, but, uh, yeah, I mean so, it. So, <laughs> mean it with Baker Mayfield. I'll say this. I, I do think that there is an argument that, that Stetson Bennett was a better fit for that game last night and for the offense that George is running. I think that my thing is, though, is that I still think that, I mean, if you're talking 2017 Baker Mayfield, that's one of the best college players that I've ever seen. I absolutely think that he goes and wins the national championship with this team. I don't think there's a question about it. 
And the other thing too for me is can Stetson Bennett do any of what Baker Mayfield did his last three years at Oklahoma? I don't think so. Like they weren't asked to do the same things, but I don't think that you can interchange them the other direction and have any chance. Like I, I don't whatsoever. Like you think he'd throw too many picks and like get too loose with it if if Lincoln was trying to let him rip it. Yeah, yeah, I think he'd get too loose with it. I think he'd throw picks. I also just don't think that he could be as dynamic down the field. And again, this is as a college player. We're not we're not having the discussion about what Baker Mayfield was with the Cleveland Browns. But uh, but as a college player, Baker was a super duper dynamic passer, and Stetson Bennett was a super duper efficient passer. And like, and, and there's not there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's not bad. But like. I think it's much, much, much more likely that Baker Mayfield could have done it. what Stetson Bennett has done in this offense than there is any chance that Stetson Bennett could have done what Baker Mayfield did in that offense. I do think there are times they had to throw, just like sometimes camera angles get me, but it was Stetson Bennett. I think he got down a little sidearm, moved linebackers with his eyes, ripped the throw between coverage, I think to Brock Bowers on a play, and like heated up Stetson Bennett Sometimes heated up, feeling good about himself, Stetson Bennett. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think there is a lot here. He will rip throws in the middle of the field. I always respect quarterbacks who will make throws in the middle of the field where it can get a little crowded in there sometimes. He will move defenders around to make those throws. He'll take those deep shots down the sideline. You know, he has been doing this. The one thing about it, Sean, with with Stetson Bennett is these past two years, they lean on their tight ends and their running backs in this Georgia passing game, but they lean on them because they have to, because they didn't have George Pickens basically all of last year, and they didn't have A.D. Mitchell basically all of this year, and they just didn't have the same kind of receivers. The year Baker Mayfield had D.D. Westbrook, who like went to New York with him as a Heisman finalist, right? That I wonder if you give, if you gave Stetson Bennett Quentin Johnston or Marvin Harrison Jr., what might that look like? Because he just never. Of all the things Georgia had the last two years, which was basically everything, they never had a receiver like that. Not that played, because Pickens, I think, was like that. And then he basically had all of last year wiped out by injury. So I wonder sometimes when he gets hot, and then the thing with Stetson Mendes, right when he gets hot, he gets overconfident, then he makes the killer mistake, and then they pull him back. But anyway, I just think he played at a super high level, and that uh, what you said off the top, this is an offense first team. It really is. Last year was defense first. This year is offense first with a good defense, or at least offense tied for first, that they weren't going to let Max Duggan and that TCU offense do anything last night. But Georgia could have scored 80 if they wanted to. There was, there was, I'm surprised they didn't score on every drive. It was amazing. And so I do think that the Stetson Bennett legacy is going to be a pretty big one in the history of college football, the modern era. And it's funny that you say, you said those three other quarterbacks who in the championship era have won national titles. And it's like AJ McCarron, Tommy Frazier, Matt Leiner, like they, they are kind of, it is kind of a good group, but also like nothing in the NFL, like nothing. And Leiner was at least a first round pick, but did zero. So they are all college guys. And so he absolutely belongs in that group. There's nothing. I mean, he's, who would you, who's a better college player? A.J. McCarron or Stetson Bennett? Stetson Bennett. I think Stetson Bennett, Bennett, right? And so now Frazier, just such a different thing in that offense, carrying that load, face of the the program kind of guy. 
I don't know. Is there anything Matt Leiner did at USC with Reggie Bush right next to him that like Stetson Bennett couldn't have done? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting a little too crazy here now. We're, we're, we got a little bit too much dip on my chip right now. Stetson Bennett, Vince Young. All right. You put Stetson <laughs> Bennett on that 05 Texas team. I think he runs for a touchdown on the corner of the – so anyway, <laughs> all right. You'll at least give me AJ McCarron. You gave me AJ McCarron, though. I'll give you AJ McCarron, like half a Tim Tebow. You gave me like half a Tim Tebow. So, so no. I mean, I, I think that I think that the Tebow comparison isn't awful, right? Like again, I, I think that if he did this level for two years instead of one year, right? Because last year he was a true game manager, like just through a couple of big passes. But this year he was the engine, and so I think that this season compares favorably to any of the other seasons from those other great players but we're not evaluating him for the NFL draft but like he's not I mean he's not throwing the ball down the field all that often he's not throwing the ball to the numbers all that often like it's a different game if you're asked to do that and and that's not a shot at Sesson Bennett Sesson Bennett you know I think that it's it's viewed as a real negative if you are seen as a quote-unquote system quarterback but Stetson Bennett has a system built for him to emphasize all of his strengths at an incredibly high level. And I think that he converted in that and that makes him one of the most successful college football players ever. And, you know, look, I, I, I don't need to turn that conversation into whether I'd rather have him than Baker Mayfield. But, you know, I think I, I think that he's a really good college player who's going to be remembered for a long time. Although, by the way, I will mention as well, uh, you talked about Tim Tebow getting into the College Football Hall of Fame. Stetson Bennett. Not eligible. Not, uh, never a first-team All-American. I, the rules. College football really has to reassess how they treat legacies of quarterbacks because, like, if you have a dominant quarterback the way that, like, you kind of coalesce around Caleb Williams takes every every award, and then it's like, oh, well, then guys like Stetson Bennett, and, you know, again, we had this conversation with Trevor Lawrence a couple years ago where we, I think, actively tried to get Trevor Lawrence on our first team so he could do that. I I think it applies to it applies to every position except quarterback quarterback. You've got to figure that out because you can be the second best quarterback in the country, make no first teams, be the second best player in college football, like multiple years and never, never be eligible for the college football hall of fame. So we'll work on that. It's funny, right? Like, I, I the college football hall of fame is such an interesting organization because they have the most arbitrary rules for just like no reason right like we're having the conversation right now you got to win 60 percent of your games to be a coach eligible for the hall of fame and mike leach won 59.6 and it's like i mean 60 is such a specific number to have to win right like it's almost like if you want to say that they have to win 70 percent, then it's like okay well you have to have like real consistent greatness like i i don't know it's like what's it's so arbitrary but why have any qualifications other than let everybody evaluate the totality of your resume and your career when you come up? Like, why? Yeah, I don't I don't get it. Because, like, I, I think that, you know, you're in a situation where, uh, where, yeah, where, like, you look at Mike Leach. And Mike Leach is the most influential coach in college football over the last 25 years. And everybody knows it. And obviously, uh, well, and unfortunately, it took you know, Mike Leach passing for us to have this conversation. But, like, everybody has known that Mike Leach is the it guy in college football in terms of developing offense at every level of the sport over the last 25 years. But like, we have to have a 
conversation where we're parsing whether 59.6% is enough for him to get like that, that's ridiculous. And, and, you know, like you said, similar situations, I think with, uh, with really great quarter, I mean, like a group of five quarterback is basically ineligible for the hall of fame ever, right? Like they're just never even considered, right? I, I mean, not necessarily that he's somebody should make it, but like Grayson McCall has been a baller for four years now, and he's never even going to have a chance to be considered for the hall of fame. Uh, and I'm not saying that he should get in necessarily, but like he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country over the past couple of years. And like, because he played at Coastal Carolina, he is instantly ineligible to be even considered for it. So I don't know. It's uh this is a whole other soapbox that we probably don't need to get on. But yeah, Stetson Bennett will, and I guess that's the difference between Tim Tebow and Stetson Bennett. Tim Tebow will be in the College Football Hall of Fame and Stetson Bennett is ineligible. All right, let's use our power for good. Let's use our power for good and get Mike Leach and Stetson Bennett in the College Football Hall of Fame. I would absolutely, like, if I were on those committees, I would absolutely be advocating for Stetson Bennett to make the College Football Hall of Fame because I do think that he is doing, he did something and leaves a legacy at Georgia that is unmatched. I mean, they, they, they unmatched it truly. <laughs> no, you know, they had won uh, one championship since I, I think they're the one before that was 1942 that they claimed. So one championship since World War II in 1980. And now they've got two back to back and Stetson Bennett's 29 and three as a starter. Like, I don't know, man, that's, that's pretty dang good. I, I think that that's worth being in the hall of fame. I know all the, a lot of the Georgia people that I follow were putting out Stetson Bennett, the greatest player in Georgia football history last night. And I guess the, the current holder of that is Herschel Walker. Is that right? Yeah. Am I missing somebody? So I think we know in the end, we we know where this is heading. Do we have any doubt where this is heading? You guys can play this back in 25 years when we are welcoming Senator Stetson Bennett the fourth. Does Stetson Bennett have the clutch gene to be able to win a runoff? I think that that's really how you determine the be best player in Georgia. It's, it won't be a runoff. He's going to win. He's going to get 50% of the first vote. No, I get 90%. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. We, there are other players on Georgia to talk about, by the way, and we'll talk to you about TCU next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug and Shahan back. We'll keep going into the offseason. We might take a little time off at some point, but we'll have some stuff we need to wrap up. We need to look ahead. There's already odds out for the national championship picture for 2023. Again, we're heading into the final year of the 14 playoff. And I do think we are seeing a somewhat a changing of the guard in college football. Let's talk about this game in particular, Shahan. I think there's something. So I begged you to take TCU. We, you, you didn't really want to on this show. I begged you to take TCU, and you did. But you brought up the point in the midst of our preview show on this that I think was the most salient point that clarified this game for me, and I think played out. And I think some people got played. And I'm not saying you got played because you were in on TCU early. So you you at least were one and one. There are people who picked TCU to lose to Michigan and then picked TCU to beat Georgia. I think I went through like the picks on The Athletic. I think they had 27 other writers make picks. I think it was like 21 to six. I don't think there were that many people picking Ohio State against Georgia. And so, and I, I, there were a lot of, now that bets are, betting is legal in Ohio, like I just have easier access on an app to look at stuff, right? And I'm, I'm getting all these things in my timeline and things in emails about it. There seemed to be a lot of interest in TCU plus 13, 
plus 12 and a half, plus 13 and a half. That line moved a little bit during the course of it. And I think everybody got played because I think this was staring us in the face. And I think it's what you said, which is Michigan and TCU from a talent recruiting perspective were much closer. Ohio State and Georgia were much closer. But the gap in that standpoint between Georgia and TCU was vast. And even though Michigan beat Ohio State and Michigan is an excellent team and has been a great program the past two years, they just don't have the depth and maybe the ceiling of talent among their best guys the way Georgia and Ohio State do. And that made it very possible for TCU to compete with Michigan. But in the end, it made it impossible for TCU to compete with Georgia. And I think that raw talent base reared its head in about the first five minutes, Shahan, and we were off to the races. But if you picked TCU because I asked you to, but you were on TCU early, but you identified that. If people didn't identify that, and I want to have a bit of an Ohio State conversation off to the side here, you got played, man. I don't know what to tell you. It was right there, (laughs) and you got swept up in the miracle on ice kind of underdog story that when you got down to brass tacks and the analysis of this particular matchup, the talent was not there, which is just reality. I don't know what to tell you. Wasn't that it? Weren't weren't you right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I... By the way, like I do want to nudge in this conversation, uh, you know, not to make it, not to make everything that I do an indictment of Ohio State. But this is why this is the standard for Ohio State, right? Like this is why to me competing with Michigan and losing to Michigan is unacceptable if you're Ohio State because this is what Georgia's doing. It's it's very difficult. It feels like Ohio State is like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It's like dr rivalry and mr national stage like it is the, it is such two different things and we can talk a little bit about how to parse like how you would vote in an ap poll i don't know if anybody cares but to me the issue right now is not that ohio state lost to michigan the issue is that i think ohio state is maybe the only team or one of two teams that can play with georgia right now and that's what mattered on this stage because again i think if you tried to factor in the transitive property I love transitive property. It's the only math thing I understand, (laughs) right? What is it? X plus Y equals squared? I don't even know. What's transitive? But it's like Michigan beat Ohio State. Ohio State played with Georgia. TCU beat Michigan. TCU can play with Georgia. Was bad math. Because the the Ohio State-Michigan game exists in a universe outside the playoff and I think was irrelevant to the analysis of this playoff structure to the analysis of what happened in the semifinals. Now, big picture, Ohio State, what they have to do as a program, do they need to beat Michigan? Absolutely. But that that's not really the conversation we're having in this playoff argument. And I think some people went down that road with their, oh, TCU can hang with Georgia discussion. And the problem where that math problem fell apart, Jahan, was the Ohio State that lost to Michigan and the Ohio State that played with Georgia are like two different teams. So you can't just slap on Ohio State did this. And I think it led people down the wrong path. But that's my issue is like I understand that rivalry games matter. And then that's a factor in college football. But Georgia didn't suddenly stop playing football at any sort of level because they played against Auburn this year or because they played against Florida this year. Why are you turning this into a criticism of Ohio State? That's not the point. Ohio State was within a missed field goal of beating the best team in the country. 
there are three teams in college football that are just playing a different sport than everybody else. There's Alabama, there's Georgia, and there's Ohio State. Like they are from a recruiting perspective, from a development perspective, from an NFL perspective, all of this sort of stuff. They are just different. Nobody else, I, I don't think that anybody else should be ultimately asked to compete with them, much less actually compete with them, right? And and that's, for me, when I look at, that's the standard that I hold all three of those programs to, is you look at Alabama and they lose two games by a combined four points, and then they go and, you know, turn, grind Kansas State into a fine pulp, right? And then you look at Georgia and they play the team that beat Michigan and beat them 65 to 7. That's the standard for me for those three teams. And that's why when people feel like I'm fair, unfair to Ohio State, that's the standard because you are playing a different sport than everybody else. But Ohio, but Ohio State got to the playoff. Like, what, what's the standard that they can't lose? That th- none of those three teams should ever lose except to each other? Like, what's the... I mean, kind what of. What do you mean by it? But I mean, teams lose sometimes. I don't know. Like, I, like, sometimes you lose. You got to where you wanted to get, which is to the playoff to have a chance at the national title. You have to beat your rival. You have to beat your rival. What, when's the last time that Alabama lost by three touchdowns? They lost by three touchdowns. Because they were down and they were trying to make plays. They ran. It wasn't a three touchdown game the whole game. This is not the conversation people want us to have right now. <laughs> we're going to have but, this conversation. But, do, this but do you agree? Play. But do you agree that that threw off the analysis? I'm trying to give you credit for correctly analyzing that the talent disparity between TCU and Georgia was vast and some people got lost in that reality because of some transitive property uh, outcomes. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that the biggest takeaway from this playoff is, again, that there are three teams in college football that are just doing things different. And and obviously, Alabama didn't make the field. They were the first team out. But, you know, this is I get it. I get why this is why people clamor for Alabama to have made the field, for example, because I, I know that they're also doing this different thing that other teams can't compete with outside of those other two teams primarily. Now, again, they, they lost two games by, again, a combined four points like stuff happens like obviously you can lose games and this was this was quote-unquote the worst Bama team that we've seen in 12 years right but like in terms of long-term trajectory in terms of year in year out like you know again you look at the top three in terms of their talent composite and then you look at number four and it's Texas A&M and that team lost to App State right like it's it's a different game that that these three teams are playing versus everybody else and you know look I, I I think that this is one of the reasons ultimately that I am in favor of the 12 team playoff is because I think that we should have more opportunity to watch and celebrate things that aren't just these three teams. Right. Because I think that I think it is a fair statement to say that that it is more likely than not that if you ask me over the next five years, is Alabama, Georgia and Ohio State going to win? You know, I, I think that those three teams to win every title for the next five years, right? Things could change, right? I mean, Nick Saban's 70. Maybe someday he decides he doesn't want to do this. Uh, you know, Ohio State still hasn't won one since 2014, right? So, like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, things can happen, but, like, they are the overwhelming favorites for the next five to ten years if they continue doing things at this level. So, you know, for me, I think that it's okay to have this expansion because then we get to enjoy things like, TCU pulling an upset over Michigan that nobody expected. We get to enjoy things like uh, USC Tulane. If that was a playoff game, imagine, right? Like imagine if that was a playoff game uh, and everybody in the country is watching that game, right? So, uh, and maybe, you know, some people will probably say that it's a, you know, somewhat of a loser mentality to say, well, why, you know, should we structure the sport 
just to protect the sport from the top three teams. And I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Well, I did think, I mean, we saw the value of the semifinals that people really did draw value from good competitive games. And then yeah. it, it almost didn't matter what those teams did during the regular season. It didn't matter whether it meant they were going to go win their next game or not, right? That that weekend, that that last weekend with the two semifinals was it was just a great eight hours of college football. And so if that can if that's what the quarterfinals are like, there'll be such great value derived from that. And that TCU people aren't going to forget the Michigan game just because no. they got blown out by Georgia, right? There, there is value in sort of the fight. It, it is interesting that we wound up with two of the – I don't know if it was the two best individual semifinals. It certainly was the best pair of semifinals that we've ever had. The Georgia-Oklahoma two-overtime game is, is, is right there in the consideration. Clemson-Ohio State uh, in 2019 is right there in the consideration. But And then Alabama-Ohio State. In 2014, plus the two this year, those are probably the five best semifinals ever. And then we got the worst championship game. People do sometimes seem to be in a hurry with college football and this playoff to point out whenever the game's not competitive. It's like we get it. Sometimes games aren't competitive. I don't know what I don't know what to tell you. It is an it is a different sport when you have this many teams and there's such a disparity in regionalism and revenue and all these things it's not the nfl where parody is the name of the game is parody so sometimes people just have to chill out and accept this but we got two out of three great games and if you would have flipped it shahan and i think most you know everybody kind of acknowledges like okay ohio state georgia was actually you know whatever was the national championship game in a semifinal. if you had flipped it and georgia tcu was one of the semis and georgia ohio state was the national championship game it would have been one of the greatest championship games in sports history, right? I mean, it comes down to a, a field goal in the last play of the game after the defending national champions drove down in the final two minutes. Like it, it was everything that you asked for. It just was on the slightly smaller stage. So um, I, I do think you can't get caught up in that, but, but it also can't be a shock the way this played out. So what does this tell us though about Georgia? And, and we can have that three-team conversation, but Georgia right now, they're the only repeat winners in the nine-year history of the playoff, Bama had that run of win, lo- beat Deshaun Watson and Clemson in a national, great national title game, come back, lose to Deshaun Watson national title game, then win the next year in beating Georgia in overtime uh, in the national championship game. So they won two of three and were in three straight. That's certainly comparable to this. But is is this, I don't know, I'm, I'm willing in college football to call any team that wins two straight a mini dynasty is this the best one of the playoff era? Or does that, does that early Saban, the way they have dominated, maybe the whole playoff is is a mini Saban. Like, is, is that still better? Or to actually get it done two years in a row, and then we can talk about I mean, they're not, they're not going anywhere. Does that top what Bama did? I think the thing that probably, I, I don't want to say hurts Georgia's case here, but I guess I'll say it hurts Georgia's case here, is I don't feel like they had a counterweight. Like they didn't have the Deshaun Watson, right? But to, but did they? weren't Wasn't Bryce Young last year and C.J. Stroud this year that counterweight? That this is a as much as we're still calling the, the second year of of, of Georgia a, an offense first team. They still have a defensive reputation, and they had to get past 
a quarterback last year who was phenomenal and won the Heisman and a quarterback this year who in that game was phenomenal and was a back-to-back Heisman finalist. They're both going to be very high picks in the NFL draft. Wasn't that a version of that? I, I don't think that you can compare those teams to that level. You can compare the quarterbacks to that level for sure. I mean, you know, two fantastic, fantastic quarterbacks. But, you know, you look at a lot of the analytic systems, you look at obviously record on the field. Like this is the worst two year run that Bama's had since probably since Saban got there. Right. Like that's how far you probably have to go back. Maybe you're saying 2007, 2008 is probably the next uh, two year run that's been as bad as this two year run has been. Bryce Young has kind of carried them, but this has not been a good Bama run by any means. And, you know, I, I think that Ohio State, obviously, they're a really talented team, but they also didn't win the Big Ten this year. They snuck into the playoffs uh, kind of, you know, they kind of backed into the playoffs. Right. So, like, I, I don't think that you can compare what those two teams were to what Clemson was from that four-year run from 2015 to 2018. And that's not a that's not a knock against those two teams. I just think that Clemson was something different. But, you know, the, at the same time, it also Clemson was also different to the point that it maybe prevented Bama from being a true, true dynasty in that stretch, I guess you'd say. If you lined up the best Georgia team, which is the best Georgia team last year or this year? Oh boy. I, I think it's last year. I think it's still last year. But it's hard. It's like take this Stetson Bennett and put it with last year's defense right. is the answer. This year's offense that. was much better and last year's defense was much better. I think last year is the right answer too. And you just hope you get the best version of that Stetson Bennett when you're playing. So you take the best Georgia team, the best Clemson team, the best Bama team. And I guess Georgia's third. In that argument, right? You take the best Deshaun Watson team that won the title. You take the best Bama team, which I think is 2020. I mean, if someone wanted to argue for a different Bama team, I'd hear it. So you take 2020 Bama, you take 2016 Clemson, and then you take 2021 Georgia. Georgia finishes third in that argument, right? I think they do. I think they do. I mean, like this, this is the tough thing, right? Is like when you become a champion, it's like, you know, to go back to the Stetson Bennett thing, it's like when you are in hallowed company, then like it becomes, it becomes kind of unfair because you are compared to hallowed company. But this is, this is context of how great Georgia is at the same time. So I do think there were some things early. Max Duggan was holding the ball early in that game. And it was like, Oh, that is not good. And they tried a bubble screen early and it was swarm of bees time from the Georgia defense tracking people down. And it was like, Oh, that is not good either. Yeah. It, it, it was, there was trouble from the jump for how TCU was going to go about attacking Georgia. And it reinforced what I thought going into the semifinal, which was, a quarterback who can move and is athletic and can get out of the pocket and all that stuff, and that Georgia knows it and plans for that is not it. You, I don't think you can be that. You have to throw to beat Georgia. You have to be an elite, elite, elite passer. Bryce Young was that last year. C.J. Stroud was that this year. I don't think Georgia's changing, and I think that has to – I don't – Tim Tebow – Tim Tebow would not beat this Georgia defense. 
he wouldn't. Like that style of quarterback would not get it done. Deshaun Watson would, but he better throw. He'd be great. Trevor Lawrence would, but he better be great. You better be on point. Joe Burrow would, but that's what it takes. And that's not that different than what we thought what it took to win in college football generally right now, which is a great quarterback who can throw. But I think this Georgia defense reinforces that. And there is a narrow path because I think you can assume this version of Georgia is going to keep being rolled out. It is a narrow path, Shahan. And I just think as I try to think about predicting national championship teams from here on out, it's either going to be Georgia on a six-peat or it's going to be a team with a great passing quarterback who can give that opposition a chance like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud did these last two years. I don't, I don't see how it works otherwise because Max Duggan, I think, fell into the same trap that Will Levis and Anthony Richardson and Hendon Hooker and everybody else did. Yeah, you know, one thing that's funny about Georgia is that I, I think that when you look at, uh, well, well, just just big picture in college football, especially for teams that are not these three superpowers, you have to look a lot at development cycles, right? You have to see when are these teams old, right? You look at TCU, one of the oldest teams in the country because of uh, because of how long guys have been on campus. They've got a couple super seniors, et cetera. With Georgia, they kind of didn't match up their development cycles. Like last year, their defense was at the top of a development cycle and their offense was not. This year, their offense was at the top of a development cycle and their defense was not. And it's almost kind of worked out because it meant that they've had an elite unit every single year. And so, uh, one thing that I'll be keeping an eye on, cause you talk about, you know, obviously with this, uh, with this Georgia defense, uh, you know, what CJ Shaw was able to do against it, this secondary is going to get older very soon. This was a very young secondary. Now, Keely Ring goes off to the draft and we obviously talked about him at length and, and the moments that we felt like he was gettable, but like, I'm going to be curious too. Now, I think that probably the offense takes a step back next year with, with Stetson Bennett off, but which unbelievable. I mean, if you had told me a couple of years ago that I'd be saying that, I would think that I had a head injury, but, uh, but you know, I think that the offense takes a slight step back with, uh, with Stetson Bennett off. And, and by the way, it's probably going to be Carson Beck for them, a rising redshirt junior who's a pure pocket passer that's what he wants to be right and i think of that probably is a slightly more limiting factor than having a dual threat quarterback in this era but again i I think the defense will probably be even better next year and so i don't know man like they they are doing something right now and i kind of feel like it's i don't know yeah it's obviously somebody's going to beat them somebody is going to beat them eventually somebody's going to knock them out of their national championship path but like what they're doing right now is crazy just 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 crazy and they're doing it with a 47 year old head coach who is very (laughs) young but very developed and i think when you you think about that national championship loss for kirby smart when they're beating bama they're 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 taking care of their rival bama makes the quarterback switch at halftime and bama ends up beating them in overtime and the learning experiences from that, all all the things that it, it just took a little time to get to peak Kirby Smart, which, but he's like right on the right schedule, right? I mean, I think you think a lot, a lot of people, whether it's NBA players or Major League Baseball players or NFL, like that sixth, seventh, eighth year where you're still like for a player, it's like you're in your still in your twenties, but you really know what's up now. So your brain, you understand the game, but your body is still in peak form. That's 
that's when you're at your best. And like, I think Kirby Smart is like in that zone for coaches where he has every 47, man. I mean, every ounce of energy, every ounce of vigor, but he has been through the ringer. He understands the motivational aspect of the sport. He understands every bit schematically, every angle of the sport. And we have a chance to be staring down an all-timer here with what Kirby Smart is. Let, let me ask, do you, do you know how old Nick Saban was when he won his second title? So he must have been like 57? 58. Kirby's 10 years ahead. Kirby is 11 years ahead of schedule right now on Nick Saban. Nick Saban. Now, obviously, part of it is that like Nick Saban had a like a long rise. Like it, it took him like he had to earn his way. Right. Not that. I mean, I don't want to make that sound like Kirby Smart didn't have to earn his way. But like Nick Saban went through the NFL. He was coach at Toledo. He was coach at Michigan State for a while. Obviously, he won his first title and he was uh, he was 52, 53 when he won his first title at LSU. But like Kirby came up basically through the Saban system, right? I mean, he was there from 2007 to 2015, obviously impressed Saban very early in his career, especially relatively speaking. He became uh, he became associate head coach at Alabama when he was 32 <laughs> back in 2007. So, like, I mean, Kirby Smart has an opportunity to do some stuff here. I, I remember, you know, we had this conversation back a year or two ago. Um, you know, obviously Saban still is the goat of college football coaches by a pretty wide margin and i felt like it was unlikely that somebody else would just stand up and replace him when he goes like i felt like it was more likely that we'd see a little bit of a of a flattening of maybe some of those top level teams i might be an idiot man like like kirby smart is doing the thing right now it is unbelievable what they've done over the past two years 29 and one over the past two years 81 and 15 overall during his tenure at georgia including and by the way out of those 15 losses five of them were during his first season it's it's unbelievable what kirby smart is doing right now and what he has a chance to do you know what nick saban was doing when he was 47 what was he doing he was he was going six and six at michigan state but Beating number one Ohio State in 1998 <laughs> to ruin maybe John Cooper's best team at Ohio State, an, an upset loss that is very, very familiar to Ohio State fans. So that's where he was, right? Nick Saban was like, like I think that that win helped put him on the map a little bit, right? And then it's like, okay, like this guy, and he'd been right, he'd been with the Browns. He had, he did. He had a a circuitous path. Kirby had a pretty straight line. Right-hand man for Nick Saban. Wait, 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 wait for the perfect job. Man, that guy could give some career advice, and he's got it right now. So they're not going anywhere, Shahan. Like, I don't – We will. it will be – it's possible. I think it's out there that we will have an even greater appreciation for Stetson Bennett when he's gone. If the next quarterback, who is a higher-rated recruit, doesn't fit what they want to do as much, does not – because, again, you could see what Stetson Bennett running the ball does for them, and he he really is nimble good athlete and that if they just if they have to play a little bit of a different way a more conventional drop back style that's going to put more on their receivers and i'll be curious to see how that offense evolves we know what the defense is it's just going to be as you said sort of cycles of the defense are they at 100 percent max capacity are they at 80 percent because they're a little young are they at 91 percent but they're going to be who they're going to be as long as kirby smart is there so when we come back We'll take a little look at the future. We're going to be doing this all off season, but I want to get 
our read on what this means for the next few years in college football after this on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, so great appreciation for, for what Georgia has done. Before we do that, though, I, I do want to give you kind of a final word on TCU because this is going to stick a little bit nationally with them. And it, it's it's hard because sometimes what the Big 12 has done on the national stage lately has not been great. But Oklahoma having a terrible defense and getting to the national stage and not being able to hang, other than that game, they should have beaten Georgia in that semifinal when Baker Mayfield was there. That's a little different because Oklahoma has everything it should have. And so you, I think you can have a higher standard for, for Oklahoma and say, why didn't you get it done in a better way? TCU, this is an amazing story of a first-year coach. Where does this – what kind of path does this put TCU on? It feels like TCU is doing some work in the transfer portal right now with the fact that the Big 12 is changing. Is TCU going to emerge as the power in what should be a diverse and and – a, a parody-driven conference in the Big 12. Where does TCU go from here as Sonny Dykes puts a great year one in the books? Well, well, I'll say this first. I think that, obviously, for TCU, this did not end anywhere, anywhere near the way that they hoped. I think that that is a fair statement to say. I, I don't want to quote Sonny Dykes on that, but uh, I, I think they probably did not like that this happened. But all that to say, TCU is the first Big 12 team to win a playoff game, right? They beat Michigan. Oklahoma never won a playoff game. Uh, Texas had never made the playoff. Nobody else from the Big 12 has ever made the playoff. Cincinnati will join the league next year, but obviously I think making it through the Big 12 and making the playoff is a much bigger accomplishment than kind of standing above the AAC. Uh, they played in the national championship game. No Big 12 team has played in the national championship game since 2009 Texas, uh, when obviously Colt McCoy got hurt. Like, I get it. You know, this this is going to stick with them. But like, I, I can't remember. I, I saw somebody make this point on Twitter last night. Not being as good as Georgia is not like the greatest crime in the history of college football. Right. <laughs> like it's it's just not. And I, I think that, again, the biggest takeaway from this year in general is ultimately that, again, there are three teams in college football that can win a title right now. It's subject to change, right? I mean, LSU had, again, a development cycle where they were able to get there in 2019. But, like, this is kind of reality right now. And so I think that if you're TCU, like you said, you have an opportunity to come back into your conference and say, we've done something that none of you guys have ever done. None of you guys have ever done this. Won a playoff game, played in a playoff, uh, played in a national championship game. Uh, and and we're starting to see some of the returns on the recruiting trail. Uh, obviously, like, I'm not going to sit here and try to compare it to, you know, to, to Alabama or Georgia, but like they have their first top 20 class uh, out of high school that they've had in a long time. You mentioned the transfer portal. They are the spot right now. Uh, it really, I mean, in some ways in college football right now, uh, in terms of top level transfers, they're, they're not taking a ton of guys, but they're being very, very targeted about them. You know, they're, they've added several players, for example, from Alabama, including uh, a former five star and Tommy Brockermeyer on the offensive line, including Jojo Earl at receiver. Like, I, I think that while obviously they would have rather not had this game go the way that it went, this is, still a huge win of a season for TCU and what Sonny Dykes will likely feel like he can accomplish there. Will TCU win a national championship under Sonny Dykes? I mean, I'd obviously bet against it. Uh, will TCU play another national championship game under Sonny Dykes, especially in a 12-team playoff era? I mean, that's 
Probably not, right? Like it's it's TCU. That doesn't happen very often. But I think that there's a lot of good stuff to be taken away. I think that TCU is going to be very competitive in the Big 12 in this new expanded league. I do think that uh, it's probably going to be only about half ahead, but I do think that they emerge in this 12-team league at the head, right? Like I think that they're going to be the team on top. They'll be competitive with uh, with some of the other programs that are coming in, right? Baylor, I think, is still going to be very competitive in this league. I think Oklahoma State under Mike Gundy's had a long track record of success. I, I really like what uh, what uh, what Texas Tech has done with Joey McGuire. Cincinnati obviously has showed some success, but like TCU's at the forefront right now, and they're going to have a chance to be in a lot of ways that premier program heading forward if they're able to keep things on track and and again it's not a national championship but it's pretty dang good i agree these three teams that you've talked about at the top of college football right now george is the king and i like the idea of saban chasing somebody now because nick saban hasn't chased anybody since he got to alabama when florida was on top so florida wins the national title in 2006 in urban meyer's second year Nick Saban takes over at Alabama for the 2007 season, has a reset year in 2007. 2008, Florida and Alabama are like the two best teams in the country. They meet in the SEC championship game. Florida wins and then goes on to win the national championship, the second national championship in three years. 2009, they're the two best teams in the country again. Alabama beats Florida in the SEC championship game, and then they win the first title under Saban at Alabama. That's in year three at Alabama. And he hasn't looked up at anybody since. Because I think you could even look at last year again. Not that people thought it was a blip, but they split. It just so happened that Georgia's win was in the national championship game. But I don't think – no. I mean, there's no doubt. Coming into this year, nobody thought Alabama was looking up at Georgia. People were picking Alabama to win the SEC and win the national championship. Now, Alabama's looking up at Georgia. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So I do think there are there are two challengers now. One is this old guy, not not that he's old, but like this veteran who's been around the block, who's been on top, and now for the first time in a decade and a half is not on top. And what's that going to be like? I can't wait. And that he was on set with ESPN and watching this and like being all glib. Hey, that was Aflac, Nick Saban, right? You brought out (laughs) Aflac Saban was there. And now he's done being Aflac Saban. He, He looks... He looks happier when he's not in the national championship game as opposed to when he's in the national championship game. Because the national championship game, there's no Aflac on the sidelines. That's 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 trying to be, you know, beat Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, right? It's crazy to me. Yeah. So uh I remember there was a moment on the pregame broadcast when uh when David Pollock, obviously a Georgia great and an ESPN analyst, said something along the lines of, Well, like Kirby Smart and Georgia, they're the it program in college football right now. And then like Nick Saban just kinda like glances away for a second. And it's like, Oh, okay, okay, this is this feels like maybe we're looking back at this as like the uh the Michael Jordan and I took it personally meme. Like maybe this is like the moment that we look back at where Nick Saban's like, Oh hell no hell no there's absolutely no way like you said it's been since 2009 that Alabama hasn't been the it program in college football I am very excited to see what they do with that information because I'll tell you what man to to have the best quarterback in program history and maybe the best player overall in college football over the last two years uh, and by the way those might be two different people you know it might be Will Anderson is the best player in college football and to not win a national championship and to not even make the playoff this year that was something else. So I, I am very excited to see what Nick Saban does with that information in 2023. He wears the bright blue blazer 
in the Aflac commercials. The blazer he wore on the ESPN set last night was not quite as bright blue, but it was still pretty bright blue. When he puts on the bright blue blazer, that comes on, the plastered smile comes with that. And then he (laughs) takes that blazer off and then he's back down to business, Nick Saban. And I think this might be like that moment, right? I think people talk about when when Donald Trump was at the White House Correspondents Dinner one year and Barack Obama <laughs> made some jokes about Donald Trump and they say Donald Trump in that moment decided to run for president. And this was like David Pollock was Barack Obama and Nick Saban is Donald Trump was like, oh, you like that, do you? Let's do this. So I do think I am I cannot wait for underdog angry. You think I'm not on top anymore than Nick Saban. So that is challenger number one, because that's right in Georgia's backyard. Although they don't play in the regular season next year, Georgia, I don't like. There's no chance they lose a regular season game next year unless like the quarterback situation. Their schedule is, a is hilarious. It's laughable. Have you have you looked at it? it? They, which by the way, goes back to like when we talk about like conferences and the SEC. It's like, hey, congratulations, Georgia. You're from the SEC. The SEC is awesome. Let's check your schedule next year. You don't play any good teams. Oh, okay. Is this really a conference conversation then? Let's just read this off real quick. UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina, UAB, that that basically wraps up their non-conference late until they play Georgia Tech, their lone Power 5 opponent. At Auburn, Kentucky, at Vanderbilt versus Florida, they play that at a neutral site. Missouri, Ole Miss, at Tennessee. So, like, maybe that at Tennessee game could be a little spicy, but, like, they're not going to lose the game. And, like, then what other game do they play all year that they won't be favored by 10 points like who's ranked who's ranked that they're gonna play who's gonna be ranked is tennessee gonna be ranked without hendon hooker and they'll be ranked they'll be ranked yeah they're they're gonna be the they are going to be the like off-season hype program them in florida state because of what they did in their bowl games are going to be the two programs that people go crazy for so they're gonna be a preseason top 10 team uh i don't know by the time that they're playing on November 18th, that they'll be top 10, but they're going to be ranked. And that might be the whole list. Yeah. Cause Auburn has a new coach. Old misses. I don't know. They're fine. So anyway, so congratulations to the sec on having the two time defending national champs who literally has nobody to play the entire season in the sec. It's the sec, right? They're not changing conferences next year. It's the sec. So George is on top. You've got challenger one, is Bama, and I love it. And then I think the only other challenger, I think Ohio State is a stand-in for high-talent, big-time passing team. So if you want to add to, and I do think USC can become that as well. And then I think USC and Ohio State would be standing next to each other as like, all right, we'll chuck it on you. We're going to throw over this Georgia defense. And then we're going to have enough defensive talent, which is where USC is falling short right now. One of those things, it's like Ohio State fans were not real happy with the defensive effort against Georgia. And then you watch what they did to TCU and you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't so bad. And you watch what USC did, couldn't stop Tulane. Ohio State held Georgia to fewer points than USC held Tulane to, right? Like there's sometimes it's hard to play great defense if you're not Georgia or Alabama. So I don't know, like, Tennessee was a stand-in for that this year because why did Tennessee – why did people think Tennessee had a shot against Georgia this year? Because they chucked it, right? So chuck it, team. 
It's Ohio State now, and I think it's going to continue to be Ohio State. Ohio State's going to have a new quarterback next year, but as long as Ryan Day is at Ohio State and they're recruiting quarterbacks and receivers the way they do, as long as Lincoln Riley is at USC and they continue to recruit quarterbacks and receivers the way they do, could UCLA be a team like that? They got Dante Moore. Could Texas become that with Quinn Ewers slash Arch Manning, right? But you've got to be a Chuck it team. So Saban, Saban. And Kirby's doing it the Saban way, right? As we talked about before, and I think we were on that correctly, this version of Georgia is early Saban. Stetson Bennett is A.J. McCarron and Jake Coker and guys like that. Hold on to your hats when Georgia – if Georgia would have gotten Arch Manning, can you imagine if it was like, hey, who's going to be Georgia's quarterback next year? It's like, well, it's probably going to be Carson Beck, maybe Brock Vandegrift, but also Arch Manning might be in the conversation. Like, oh, my God. So when they if they get the number one quarterback in the country some year, look out the way Georgia got Bryce Young. But anyway, I think that's it. Right. So Bama and then Chuck it team led by Ohio State. And I just Bama didn't go anywhere. Like what makes us think Georgia is not in for a 15 year run of this? Would there be anything to make us think that Georgia is not in for a decade long run along these lines? Now, maybe they won't win as many titles if you have to win three or four playoff games instead of two or one the way that Bama did, right? Saban started off having, oh, it's a tough regular season. You got to get through. But once you get there against great teams, you got to win one game or two. Now Georgia's going to have to win three or four. Maybe that changes the equation on how many titles they win. But in terms of being the dominant team and being not a mini dynasty, but a true dynasty, I, I bet on Georgia to be that. Yeah, no, I, I think that you just look at what they're doing. And I think that another thing to mention is just they used to be a team that would re- recruit at an elite level on the defensive side of the ball. And they almost like stacked up these number one classes by just like taking any five-star who would come in some ways. And now you start to see too that they're able to be targeted. They're able to really focus on roster construction. This is where Alabama was in the mid 2010s, uh, where they could just kind of piece together every piece that fit into their class. So, Whatever, I mean, look, whatever Kirby Smart has done over the last five years, obviously it didn't lead to a title until 2021, but I think that we've all seen that his process has been good for a long time. So uh, the results are coming now, obviously, like you said, uh, you know, they are the program in college football right now. We will have to wait and see, uh, I think in some ways, what does happen with this offense. I, I think that, you know, look, Carson Beck, might be a great player. Brock Vandegrift might beat him out. He's, he's a former five-star quarterback recruit. But, you know, I mean, the the funny thing about it is they, you know, they had Jacob Eason, who was a five-star quarterback recruit in Kirby Smart's first year. And then Jake Fromm came in, and he was nowhere near as heralded, but they kind of played well under him. And then they had JT Daniels come in as a transfer, and he was supposed to be the guy. And they lean on this walk-on, Stetson Bennett, because they feel like they can structure an offense that's really efficient around him. So, I think that it's going to be another challenge for Todd Monken to try to figure out exactly what he wants to do uh, with this offense. So, you know, there might be a bit of a feeling out process, but like, I think we all trust Todd Monken enough, uh, another $2 million coordinator, by the way, to say that he's going to figure it out. But it is going to be interesting, I think, how they decide to structure their offense next year. And it's, you trust them to figure it out. Also, they they tried to not play Stetson Bennett for as long as possible. They tried every other guy. And this is not unusual, right? I mean, Ohio State tried to play Justin Zwick instead of Troy Smith back in the day. Coach, Quarterback is hard, man. People pick the wrong quarterback 
all the time. TCU picked the wrong quarterback, right? Max Duggan was the guy. Sonny Dykes comes in, is like, ah, you're not the guy anymore. It's Chandler Morris. He gets hurt. This is, they're terrible at it. As people, nobody knows squat when it comes to what you actually need in a winning quarterback. And then once you get him, once you stumble into the answer, then you have to create a system that accentuates the strengths, hides the weaknesses, and makes a team win. And Georgia did that better than anybody that we've seen. But man, this is, who knows? I don't think we can pretend to know who the Georgia quarterback is going to be because, you know, people are, are falling backwards into these answers all the time. So in the end, much respect to Georgia, much respect to TCU for getting here. And I think there is a specific kind of team that you've got to be now to try to challenge Georgia. And I think we can have more conversations about that through the course of this offseason because I do think at the highest, highest level, if you're thinking about this, like Lincoln Riley has to be thinking about Georgia. Steve Sarkeesian has to be thinking about Georgia. Now you have to get through your backyard first, but especially in a 12-team playoff, as Ohio State showed this year, you can fall down in your backyard and still get up and go out in the neighborhood and try to win the street football game. Just because you sprained your ankle in your backyard doesn't mean you don't get to play in the street with your friends. Don't play in the street, kids. But like that, like that's the, like the 12-team playoff, you have room for error in the regular season. Just not too much error. But I don't think you can be a team that is trying to be perfect in the regular season by locking it in. And then when you get to Georgia, you're like, oh, well, we have no answers for that. Then like, what's the point? It depends what kind of program you are. But if you are a blue blood program with true national title aspirations, you better for the next decade have a Georgia plan. You better have a Georgia plan or you're just going to be putting yourself in a situation to get to this stage and get the TCU treatment. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why you brought up the nation's number 55 passing offense, the Texas Longhorns on a playoff show, though. I, I don't no, know what Arch that Manning. has to do with. Uh, oh, cool. Arch oh, Manning's you know, you know what's really going to fix things Arch is Manning. when they get Arch. the number one quarterback recruit in the country, then they'll be able to play quarterback and play football. Well, that's going to fix everything from what I understand. How could they? Why did Arch Manning, <laughs> why did Arch Manning go there? Oh, so I mean, yeah, but at least but at least. I'll tell you what, yeah, like three lost Texas as the 12 seed with Arch Manning at quarterback might be exactly what Georgia fears the most. Um, okay, so we'll come back. We'll have an Apple show for Apple Podcast listeners later this week. We wanted to get this analysis out to you guys as soon as possible. If you want to be an Apple Podcast subscriber, you get four bonus episodes a month for two ninety nine, seventy five cents 75 a show. We kind of go a little weirder on those shows, get off the deep beaten path. We certainly at some point sooner than later, we'll do our postseason Heisman what we would vote on if we actually were voting for that now. So in the meantime, thanks to everybody. This is the end of now we're into the off season for next year. It's the start of 2023. This is year two in the book, Shahan. We made it two full seasons. This is like the, I don't know if we got to have a cliffhanger. This is the year ender, but I can't, We it's good, right? Two years on a national show. We'll take that. Whatever the future holds. Yeah, apparently, uh, apparently the launch of this show coincided with the launch of Georgia. So I don't know. Is, is it just going to keep going until the show finally gets canceled? Let's get Kirby on this offseason to see if we can claim <laughs> some credit for this. So, yeah, hopefully we'll have as long of a run as Kirby Smart does at Georgia. Uh, OK, thanks, everybody, for listening. You can read Shahan J. Haraja at CBSSports.com. You can follow us on our uh, Twitter thing at cfb survivor show but mostly make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any episodes 
of us, the one bonus episode and the one free episode every week. All right, that's a bow on the 2022 college football season for Shahan Jeharaja. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.